Well, g'day and welcome to a January edition of our online ministry for St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Inverell. My name's Matt. It's great you're watching with us. This has been prepared for the 14th of January, 2024. As we begin, we're going to start in a time of praise. Come to the ministry of God's word now, and so our Bible readings begin in 1 Samuel chapter 3, going through to chapter 4, verse 1. Our psalm for today is Psalm 40, and our New Testament passage is John 10, 
1 to 5, and then 14 to 21. So take, take a moment now, pause the video, have a read of those, and we'll come to think about uh, 1 Samuel 3 together in a moment. Well, let's pray as we come to look at God's word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would be at work in our lives by your word, through your spirit, so that we would know you better, and so that our relationship with you might be growing and flourishing. In the name of Jesus, amen. What are the signs of a relationship in trouble? Uh, There are actually quite a few. Early last year, our church here in Varel, we ran a marriage enrichment course, And one of the points of one of the nights that we looked at was uh, what are the six warning signs of a relationship in trouble? It's no coincidence that four out of those six things had to do with communication. And so it should be no surprise then that uh, if there is a lack of communication in a relationship, it's a pretty good indication that things aren't going so well. And so as we then open up 1 Samuel chapter 3 and read here in verse 1, in those days the word of the Lord was rare, it gives us a pretty good indication about how Israel's relationship with their God was going. Now even though these were God's covenant people, people he saved out of Egypt, people that made promises back to him to remain faithful, never forsake him, even though that's the case, 1 Samuel 3 paints a picture of a relationship that's, that's broken, that's breaking, that's fractured, that's it's teetering on the edge. And so the question then is, what do we need in order to breathe life back into a faltering relationship with God? Now maybe that question, the answer to that question is something that you need to hear today. Maybe you feel like that's how your relationship with God could be described. Teetering, fractured a bit. Maybe for someone else. Maybe you're worried about a friend, a child, a parent, someone you work with. Maybe for them you can see how uh, any element of faith that was there appears to be just kind of all but extinguished now. Well, in 1 Samuel 3, God shows us the one essential thing for a relationship with him. And it shouldn't surprise us to know that it's going to involve an undoing of what we see there in verse 1, where the the word of the Lord is rare. And so today, we're going to look at how that plays out for, for the time of Samuel. And as we look at this, we're also going to reflect on how that is both similar and different for us. And so now, as we get into it, uh, 1 Samuel 3, it does paint a picture of a relationship that's, that's fractured, it's got cracks in it, and last week we heard the cause. And if you weren't, if you weren't with us last week in church, uh, Dave Thomas, one of our lay preachers, he opened up chapter 2 for us in 1 Samuel, and there we saw the wickedness of Eli's sons, right? Those who were meant to be mediators between God and his people, actually they were just acting wickedly and treating the Lord with contempt. And so now here we are in chapter 3, and at verse 2 we see Eli again, and even the way the writer is describing Eli physically, it's meant to capture a sense of how he's going at leading the nation spiritually. He's old. He can't do much. 
He's, he's asleep. He's, he's even outside the tabernacle of the Lord. He can barely see, like, he's meant to be the one leading and guiding God's people. Things are not going well for them spiritually as a nation. But get, as we're getting into the story, we're told then, at the start of the next verse, the start of verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, the writer is a, the writer's drawing our attention here to a physical lamp, which I think, again, is meant to, for us, uh, recall, uh, call us to consider the dwindling or flickering nature, if you will, of the relationship between Israel and God. Now, in one way, it's a light that's it's all but extinguished. But another way, on the flip side, it's a picture of hope. Because we're told here, the light has not yet gone out. Now, in contrast to Eli, who's he's asleep outside the house of the Lord, we're told in verse 3, it finishes by, by saying, Samuel, he was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. And so as we're reading this, we're meant to see that if something is going to change, if this relational problem for Israel and God is going to be fixed, it's not going to come through Eli. That's no, going to happen through Samuel. And so what we're told in verse 1 was rare in those days. It happened this one night we're told about. Verse 4, Then the Lord called to Samuel. And here we are. God is speaking to his people. And verse 4 to 6, God, he calls out twice to Samuel, who... Not knowing any better, he goes to Eli, but Eli seems to be the stumbling block here. Right? He goes to Eli and says, hey Eli, you called me. Eli's got no idea what's going on. He says, no I didn't. Back to bed. He's clueless. And verse 7 tells us we shouldn't think too poorly of Samuel at this point. Uh, I mean, he's a newbie at this. He hasn't heard the word of the God- Lord. He hasn't encountered God this way before. Verse 7 Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And so verse 8, the Lord calls out to Samuel a third time. And finally at this point, Eli, he thinks, click, he gets what's going on. But I still can't help but be captured by his lackluster response. Midway through verse 8, he doesn't get up. He doesn't follow Samuel back into the tent of the Lord. He doesn't get excited. No, again, he says, go back to bed. But this time he adds, you know, If God speaks again, say, I'm here listening, and then tell me how you go in the morning. Now, perhaps at this point we're meant to be struck by God's, his mercy and his grace. Because if you're playing baseball, right, three strikes and you're out. Uh, For the old company I used to work for, uh, it was the case that if you mucked up, you got two formal warnings on the third strike, you're out. Well, they've had three strikes. And yet in verse 10, we see God's patience as he shows up again a fourth time to speak. Verse 10. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And for poor young Samuel at this point, now, these words would have been really confronting, I think. Because the, the, word, of the, God, the word of God to him, it's, it's an accusation against his mentor. Right? It confirms everything we heard last week in chapter 2. Look at verse 11 with me. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, 
I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. What's going on here? Again, as we saw last week in chapter 2, Eli, he's meant to be leading God's people. He's meant to be leading his family. But in chapter 2 we're told his sons were scoundrels. They did not know the Lord. They had no regard for him. Instead, they're treating the atonement sacrifices with contempt. They're, they're pinching meat, doing things the wrong way. On top of that, they're having illicit sex with the, with the women who come to the tent of the Lord to serve and worship. And God's accusation against Eli is, you knew about this and you did nothing. God is saying, Eli, these are your boys. These are your boys. Now, Eli may have taught them the rituals that go on inside the tent of the Lord, But I'd wager that the word of the Lord was not just rare in Israel. I'd bet the word of the Lord was also rare in Eli's house. It was his job to guide his son's hearts toward the Lord. He was to be the watchman in his family, calling out their sin, calling them to repentance. But he failed to do anything, even though he saw everything. Now, just getting personal for a moment. Now, this is where God's word has been heavy on my heart this week. Now, I've felt the weight of this. I've been reflecting on how, of how I've failed as a dad. Where the word of the Lord has been rare in my house. It should be my responsibility and my privilege to lead my family in guiding their hearts towards the Lord. But I know that I haven't always done a great job. This is where I need to step up. I need to make sure the word of the Lord is not rare in my house. That it's not rare for my family. That it's not rare in the hearts of my children. Now I might get things, I might get everything right. But still one day my kids end up walking away from their faith. But that should be in spite of my best efforts to to disciple their hearts. Not because of my lack of effort. And where I get it wrong... I need to come back before God on my knees, come before them on my knees asking for forgiveness and asking for help to get things right. Now, while we're on this, it's worth saying that, I mean, here at church we have a wonderful team of Christ helpers, of uh, Sunday school leaders, of of youth group leaders. They do an amazing job of leading our kids to know Jesus. But Christian parents, we can't see uh, this vital ministry as a way of outsourcing the, the role of discipleship, discipling our young people that God has entrusted to us. That God has given the primary role of discipleship of children to parents. It's our job to make sure that our kids are being taught, rebuked, corrected and trained in God's word. Now, I think we need to hear this both as a correction, but also as an encouragement because it's a wonderful task that God has given us. Now, back in our passage here, can you imagine being Samuel at this point? Being given the job of telling Eli all of this, 
No wonder, verse 15, Samuel, Samuel goes back to bed, afraid to tell him. But, verse 17, Eli makes it easy for him. Uh, there's no chance to hide it. Verse 17, Eli says, May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. Which I think is ironic, right? Because this message God has, it's that he's going to deal severely, not with Samuel, but with Eli. And if Israel are meant to be shuddering at this message, imagine how Eli is meant to be feeling. But in case we needed any more reason to be frustrated with him as a leader of God's people, look at how he responds to the rebuke. Verse 18. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what's good in his eyes. Is that it? Is that all you've got to say, Eli? You should be saying... Boys, I got it wrong. I didn't guide your hearts toward God. I didn't help you to know the God who saved our people out of Egypt. Boys, I showed you the sacrifices in the temple, but I didn't explain how they deal with and atone for our sin before God. Forgive me, boys. I let the word of God be rare in our house. I let the word of God be rare, the love of God be rare in your hearts. That's how Eli should have responded. But do you see how he actually responds here? He's the Lord. Let him do what's good in his eyes. There's no repentance. There's no turning to God for mercy. There's no seeking his, his help in confession. Right? Now, if you've got it wrong in the past, this is how you should be turning to the Lord. In repentance. And trusting in his grace. The forgiveness that he's won for us in the cross of Jesus. But now we contrast that lackluster response again of Eli with what, we're not, with what we're now told about Samuel in verse 19. Verse 19 on. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, they recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word and Samuel's word came to all Israel. And so in just one chapter, we have some big movements here. There's a shift from who's leading God's people, old, incompetent, unable to see Eli no longer. Now it's young Samuel who says, speak Lord, I'm listening. There's a shift in the the health of the relationship between God and Israel. Where in the beginning of the chapter, we saw this kind of fractured, broken relationship that's teetering on the edge. But now by the end, we're no longer wondering if it's too late. We're no longer wondering if the flame is going to go out. And why is that? What's the key to a relationship with God like this? Well, we've seen it here. Because the final shift that we've seen in this chapter is that by the end, The word of the Lord is no longer rare in Israel. The thing that's essential for a relationship with God, the thing through which he invites us into a relationship with him, is his word. And God has spoken. Now, as we went through, I pointed out some of the things in the passage that I think are meant to, uh, that the narrator wants us to see physically, that are meant to be symbolic of spiritually what's going on. Another one that I passed over was actually in verse 15. Because after hearing God speak, we're told that Samuel got up in the morning and 
he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Almost as if the point is being made that even though things have been spiritually dry in the past for Israel, God is not done with his people. God's doors are open. God is being gracious. He's spoken to us again so that we can know him, so that we can have that relationship, the fragments of that relationship rekindled. Now God is open for business. He's speaking to us again. And now reading this, we might be tempted to, to think, isn't this an amazing experience? You know, I wish God would speak to us this way. I wish God would revitalize my relationship with his word in this kind of way. But I want you to remember that Samuel, he only had a little bit of God's word. He spoke to God's word, but it was, it was in a limited kind of way. And today we don't have prophets like Samuel. And we can't expect or demand that God speak to us like he did to Samuel. And the reason is because we have a greater word and a greater word bringer. If you were to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, you'd see in verses 1 and 2, it's written, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, like we've seen here, 1 Samuel 3. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Through Samuel, God's people only got a little bit of his word. But we have Jesus, the perfect self-revelation of God. Or as John puts it in, in chapter 1 of his gospel, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. The word who became flesh and died on a cross to atone for our failures, who died to, to fix our relational brokenness with God. Now in Jesus, God has spoken to us. And in fact, Jesus says that the writings of the Old Testament are the full word of God. In fact, the writings of the New Testament, because they're the words of his apostles, would be the word of God. Our Old and New Testaments together, they're, they're words that find their anchor and fulfillment in Jesus, the one who embodies perfectly the word of God. Now, God is not silent. We cannot claim to have the same problem as Israel did in verse 1. We cannot say that the word of the Lord is rare for us. Now, where the word of the Lord appears rare today, in our world, in our nation, in our community, in our workplaces, in our families, it's not rare because God is silent. No, no, God has spoken loud and clear. If the word of the Lord is rare, it's because people aren't listening and we are not speaking. And so here's the challenge for us. What would it take for each of us to seek to establish a culture around us where the word of God is not rare in our families? What's one small step we can take to make sure that the word of God is not rare for our friends or our colleagues? If you're a parent, what are you doing to make sure the word of God is not rare in the lives of your kids? Now for ancient Israel, uh, their crisis as a nation was a broken relationship with God. And the thing they needed most for that was God's word in their lives. Now our greatest need also is for his word 
to be in our lives. And that's why for us as a church, our number one core value, it's about biblical teaching. Because growing in Christ only happens when we are in God's word together. And so hear this encouragement as we finish. You have a God who loves you and wants a relationship with you. And so what would it look like this week for you to seek out a deeper and and richer relationship with that God? The God who, in the past, spoke through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. Would you join me in praying now that we would not let the word of God be rare in our lives and that we wouldn't let it be rare in the lives of the people that he's placed around us as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you're a God who, you don't leave us in the dark. You're a God who speaks. God, you know us intimately and you know where we need your word. You know the comfort we need to hear. May we always look to your word to seek your guidance. May we look to your word to to grow our trust in you, grow our relationship with you and grow our dependence on Jesus. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus into the world, uh, the word who became flesh. May he dwell richly in our hearts through faith. May he guide us in all things. And may we not let your word be rare in that way for our lives, for the lives of our kids, for the lives of our families, for the lives of those that you've placed around us. Father, we pray that you would that you would give us courage and boldness to speak and not shy away so that the name of Jesus will be upheld and so that people might find true relationship with you as their loving Heavenly Father. We pray this in your Son's wonderful name. Amen. Well, let's now go again to a time of praise. Your word discerns the mind.
encouraged the word of the lord is not rare for us Uh, let's not let it be rare in our lives we'll see you next week